Well, thank you, Mike, and all of those things are important. And no, I didn't have to pull change Friday night. It was an away game. So I went and sat in the rain and watched Georgia Tech play on Friday night. But they won, so it was worth it. It was worth it. And we are grateful to you and your gifts and your um, offerings each week that, that keep us going. I want to do something this morning that I forget to do every week during this time. And I want to look at the camera and say I acknowledge people that are uh, at home, going to be watching this a little bit later. We're thankful for y'all each week, and I forget to do that. I, I realize y'all join us a little bit later, and we're very grateful to that. And the camera angles are going to be a little different today because our um, cameraman got sick during the night, and he's not here, so it's just going to be a straight-on camera. You don't get to see all the angles today. But we also want to acknowledge our folks. We've got some folks out in the parking lot right now who are listening to us, and as you leave today, you can wave at them. They're getting to hear us, so very grateful for our audio-visual people who, who make all that possible. Uh, I was in a meeting with them Monday for about three hours, and I had no idea what they were talking about most of the time, but they do a great job with that. Well, we're going to continue our series in 1 Corinthians, and I've called it, Has God Left the Building? Godly Wisdom in a World That Knows Better. And so I want y'all to think about this. If I ask you this morning what lesson you've learned from your past experience that's been most significant in your life, what would you say? What lesson have you learned in your life from your past experience that's been most significant in your life? Think about that for a minute. That's a tough one, isn't it? Now, some of y'all might immediately, something will pop in your head, an experience, um, something that happened to you in your life, and that has just made such a huge impact on you. You never have forgotten that. And maybe for others, it's something you have to really think about. You say, I've learned a lot in my life. There's a lot of things that I've learned that have been significant. And you have to kind of think about what that would be. But whatever the case, I think we've all have learned from our past, haven't we? We've all had experiences. And if we're wise, we continue to look at those things that happen in our life and say, how is that going to help me down the road? Or how is that going to allow me to help someone else down the road because of my experience? And that's the beauty of the church, if you think about it. A lot of things that happen to me in my personal life, I'm able to share that with other people because it happened to me. It may not have been fun at the time. It may not have been something that I look back on and go, I'm glad that happened. But now that I'm able to help someone or pass that wisdom on that I learned from that, I look at it as something that is valuable and helpful. Well, when we read through the Bible, we observe, especially or specifically in the Old Testament, that Israel had this special relational covenant with God, didn't they? And we read about that with Abraham and Moses. And it was this relational roller coaster, if you will, all throughout the Old Testament. Um, an, an, a roller coaster ride of ups and downs of emotions. There was this obedience and meaningful, close relationship with God, really in tune with God and being the people and projecting to the rest of the world, reflecting to the rest of the world who God was and what this covenant relationship was all about. But then there would be these times when that obedience and meaningful worship would erode, and it would be an incremental erosion, as we see even in our own culture, into rebellion, into idolatry, and bringing about this warning and punishment from God and destruction that was to come if they did not repent and remember their covenant relationship. 
But because of the covenant, Israel always believed, and if you've read the Old Testament, you know this is true, they always believed that they would be entitled to God's protection. They would be entitled to God's presence regardless of their behavior. But God said, no, we made a covenant. We made this agreement in relationship that I will bless you, but you are to be obedient to what I've laid out for you in your life. And time and time and again, Israel, as we read in the Old Testament, they had to learn the hard way by either a harsh punishment, by uh, an enemy nation coming and taking them over before they would actually turn back and repent and pay attention to God and the covenant they had made to him. And many times it looked if Certainly, God had left the building on Israel. Where is God? We read some of the Psalms. We read some of the laments from some of the other prophets. God, where are you? Why have you forsaken us? And the truth is that God allowed them to experience these consequences. And God wasn't the one that left the building, was he? It was Israel that left the building in their covenant with God. But God sat there in the building waiting for them to come back. He never truly left. He was always in the building. They were the ones, but God waited. Like we hear in the prodigal son, he waited on the porch waiting for them to come home, his children. Now, I think about this, and I see a few young people in here this morning. And I think about when I say words like covenant. When I say words like obedience, rebellion, idolatry, consequences, people probably think, what? is that language you're speaking. That's archaic language. That's King James's language. Nobody talks like that. That's some kind of a Christian speak. That doesn't register with people in our culture anymore, does it? Or does it? We do know what obedience is, don't we? We do understand what covenant is in a marriage, don't we? We do understand what rebellion is because you know what? We keep doing it. We do understand what idolatry is, and we may not think about it as an idol that we actually put up in our house or somewhere on an altar and worship, but we do understand that we have things that come before God, don't we? And those may seem like the Christian speak or archaic terms, but it's probably because we've lost the sense of who we really are in Christ. We immerse ourselves in a culture that tries to define us, define who we are in ways that God never intended for us to define ourselves. And we buy into that. And we exhaust ourselves. And we pour a lot of money. We pour a lot of our time and attention into things. That don't bring us true wholeness. And they don't bring us to God. But they take us away from God. Into dark places. And they fracture that self image. That's never content. I keep trying this. And I keep trying this. But I'm never content with who I am. And God never intended that. So in our text today, Paul's going to remind the Corinthians that we've been talking about this first century group of Christians who were Jesus followers. And as in our world today, they had a lot of different things going on in their culture that disturbed them and that were, that were a tension for them. Should I do this? Should I not do this? How should I respond to these things that are going on in my culture? I know what Jesus says and I know the teachings, but I know where I used to be and there's this confliction there. This tension between those two. And so I think in our, our text today, Paul's going to remind us of Israel. He's going to remind us of their checkered past and that we should learn from that. Learn from what 
the mistakes that they made. Learn from them when how when you break a covenant, when you break a relationship, there is something that happens with that relationship, and it needs to be repented of. It needs to be restored, and that's what God's order has always been. His longing is that we always repent and come back and be restored to Him. And He wants to remind us, I think, in this passage, not only the Corinthians, but us today, that He wants us to have our true identity in Christ so that we have a hope and a future in God. So before we read our text, I want us to remember that Paul's had this lengthy response. Now, we've talked about some very awkward situations, haven't we, in Corinthians. There's been all kinds of things that a lot of times we don't like to talk about because they're, they're awkward. There's a lot of tension behind those things, not only in their culture, but in our culture as well. And, but this specific one, Paul's been talking for a long time, and Paul is a talker. He uses a lot of run-on sentences if you read his letters. He gets excited about talking about Jesus, but he also gets excited and fired up when he's talking about what people are doing and how they need to change their ways and their behavior. But he's been talking about this question that the Corinthians have asked him about, what should I do about this eating meat sacrifice to idols? And it's been a lengthy thing. And you know, he made it very clear the importance of, I need to be careful about everything I do in my life because other people are watching me. People in my church, people in my community. And I don't want to be a stumbling block, he called it, to anybody else. I don't want, because of my personal freedoms, my rights, or my knowledge or maturity, to keep me from allowing someone to understand and grasp hold of the gospel message. So last week we looked at the example of Paul's own life where he said, Look, I could have preached and talked to y'all for money, but I didn't do it. Because I know some people would have thought that I was doing that for personal gain. And so I decided I wouldn't take any money and I would just do my tent making job the whole time I was with you in Corinth because I didn't want that to be a stumbling block. And Paul put it like this in our text last week, I have become all things to all men, if you remember, so that by all possible means I may save some. And Paul is saying, I'm looking at everything I do in my life and it's not about me, it's about other people. How do I come across to other people? How do I present Jesus to other people? Because a lot of times, I'm the Jesus that they're looking at. And I need to be aware of that. So he's passing this on. So Paul's passion for seeing people's lives being transformed in Jesus Christ, that's a passion for him. That's why he's so serious about this. So we're going to look at chapter 10 today, verses 1 through 22. And uh, I'm going to start there. And Paul says this. For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud and that they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And they all ate some of the spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with them, and their bodies were scattered in the wilderness." Now those things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. We should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 of them died. We should not test Christ as some of them did and were killed by snakes. And do not grumble as some of them did and were killed by the destroying angel. Does he have your attention yet? These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us 
on whom the culmination of the ages has come. So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, He will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Therefore, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. I speak to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? This is what we've just done this morning. And is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one loaf. We who are many are one body, for we share. We all share the one loaf. Consider the people of Israel. Do not those who eat the sacrifices participate in the altar? Do I mean then that food sacrificed to an idol is anything? Or is an idol, or that an idol is anything? No, but the sacrifices of pagans are offered to demons, not to God. And I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons too. You cannot have part in both the Lord's table and the table of demons. Are we trying to arouse the Lord's jealousy? Are we stronger than he? Now I know that was a lot. But man, Paul is saying this is serious, y'all. And he's getting to kind of the core about this whole food. And again, this is foreign to us. I don't understand this meat sacrifice to idols. That doesn't happen in our culture, Craig, so I don't really understand that. But I think we do understand that there's things in our culture that we do and are drawn to that keep us from God. And we need to be aware of that. Paul continued to address this attitude among the culture in Corinth that as an individual, and that in that culture, just like in ours, y'all, you are the most important person in the universe. You are. And your rights, your freedoms are what matters most. And this concept of freedom that allowed the culture to worship multiple gods, pagan uh, religions with no regard to morals or standards is all beautiful. We can do whatever we want because we have freedom. And they would even abuse that freedom in Christ. I'm free in Christ. I can do whatever. I can have multiple, I can go to multiple services of all kinds of things going on in Corinth. Isn't this wonderful? And Paul said, no, it's not wonderful. It's not what God's called you to. And this cultural attitude conflicted specifically with what Jesus taught and lived out. And for those who had become followers of Jesus, Paul is equipping them. He's challenging them to go, wait, you used to be that. That's what you used to serve. That's where you used to go and worship, but no more. And you can't start getting your foot back over there again because you'll get sucked in again. Don't do that. That's an empty way of life. And they too had allowed the culture around them to lure them away from their relationship with God, just like in the Old Testament. Now, we gave some references there that y'all might recognize, or maybe you don't, but I would encourage you, go read Exodus. It's, it's fascinating, all the different things that happened during the Exodus. And he gave some, uh, some, uh, he gave some references to Moses and the Exodus, and he talked about the Israelites were baptized into Moses in the, in the cloud and the sea, and that's a... Uh, a term he's using, it's not literally baptized, but that's what they were in. Moses and the law and God. And he gives reference to the cloud. You remember the cloud that the Israelites followed. When the cloud moved, they moved. When the cloud stopped, that's where they stopped and camped. He talked about crossing the Red Sea through God's miraculous hand. Remember the Egyptians? All of a sudden he goes, hey, I just let my million force of workers go. I need to go get them. And remember he came after them and God allowed the Red Sea to open up and the Israelites went through and then it closed in on Pharaoh and the soldiers. 
Then he references eating manna and quail that God provided. The people got up. There was manna on the ground. We got up. There was quail on the ground. That was from God. He talks about God supernaturally providing water when they were thinking we're all going to die of thirst. Why did you bring us out here, Moses? And all that grumbling. And he said they all ate and drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them. And Paul said that was Christ. That was Christ? Isn't that Jesus Christ? He wasn't even born yet. What are you talking about, Paul? How could it be Christ? Well, we know that Jesus referred to himself in the Gospels as I and the Father are what? One. We are the same. We understand. We don't fully grasp that concept of the Trinity, but we do understand that. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So Jesus referred to himself as one with the Father, which points to him being present with God in the beginning, in the creation, as John says, in the beginning the Word was God and the Word was with God. He was with God in the beginning. So Jesus is saying, I was there when creation began. I was there during all of the Israelites' exodus. I've been there throughout history. And then he came in the flesh. And he continues God's redemptive story in the flesh. So Jesus in John chapter 4 talks with a Samaritan woman. You probably are familiar with this story. And as he talks to her about water, he says, I will give you living water that will spring up in you a wellspring of life, wellspring to eternal life. He says, I can give you that living water. And if you flip on in John's gospel, chapter 6, he talks about, I am the bread of life that came down from heaven. And anyone who eats will live forever. So he speaks throughout history, Jesus does. And Paul recognizes this. Then Paul says, nevertheless, even though the presence of God was obvious in the Israelites' life. I mean, when you see, this is what I can't comprehend, but then I know I'm just as human as they were. We, we kind of want to go, how could they see the Red Sea part and then walk through it? How could they see Moses strike a rock and all of a sudden there was water where there was no... How could you not be obedient after that? But it didn't take long for them to veer away from that, does it? And we see God's blessings and we, it doesn't take us long to go and veer off from that. So he says, learn from their examples. Now, remember I told you, y'all heard that. 23,000 died in one day. Read Exodus, it's gruesome. One time the, 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 the ground literally opened up and swallowed some people who were uh, starting this rebellion against Moses and his brother. And then he talked about people getting killed by snakes, killed by the destroying angel. Is Paul trying to scare them? Yes. Did your mom and dad not try to scare you into not doing things that they didn't want you to do? So, well, that's, you shouldn't do that. Yes, you should. <laughs> you need to be scared. There's a lot of things in my life that I didn't do. You know why? Because I was scared. Now, that doesn't mean it should keep us from doing good things, but there's things that we need to have a healthy fear and reverence of. We need to stay away from those because they will hurt us and cause destruction. And some of those folks never made it to the promised land. That trip that took 40 years probably could have taken maybe a month. Did y'all realize that? But it took 40 years of wandering because they weren't ready yet. And he said they never made it to the promised land because of these things. Idolatry, immorality, testing the Lord, grumbling and complaining. There's one you want to scare your kids. Oh, you might just die like the people in Israel if you don't stop complaining. <laughs> Some of y'all probably tried that. I have. These same things continue to be a problem in Corinth, Paul says. People are still committing idolatry, putting things before God. But guess what, y'all? So do we, don't we? We put things before God. People are still... Uh, 
acting immoral, consistently practicing immoral behavior when they know it's against God's law and it's not right. Testing the Lord, asking, a- acting as if God's asleep at the wheel and He won't really know what I'm doing. He'll never find out about what I'm doing. He's not aware of my behavior. There will never be consequences of this. And he's going, yes, God is aware, but he's being patient with you. Grumbling and complaining. When things don't go our way, God, why didn't you let this happen? Why did you let that happen? And most of the time, it's people who have been unfaithful, and all of a sudden, they're mad at God because he didn't make things go the way they wanted. So Paul says, if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. And then he talks about this thing about temptations. And we need to be reminded to stay close to God because there are temptations all the time, aren't there? In our lives, we see them. Temptations are real. All humans have them. And he says there's no temptation that has seized anybody that's not common to man. And it even tells us, and Paul even tells us in the New Testament, that Jesus was tempted in every way, yet was without what? Sin. He never gave in. He was still tempted. It's not a sin to be tempted. What's a sin is when, as Paul talks about, that sin, that temptation gives birth to sin, right? And it leads us away from God. The temptation is real and strong, but God, he says, is faithful. He understands that. He understands our weaknesses, and he gives us the ability to overcome that and not give in to those temptations. He says, God is what? Faithful. Did y'all hear that? But God is faithful. He knows about temptations. He knows these things, Corinthian church. He knows what you're dealing with. He's not unaware of this. But he's saying God is faithful. He's not going to let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. Have you ever been in a situation where you thought you were being tempted beyond what you can bear? And this verse came up in your head. I have. Because God is faithful. He will provide a way out so that we can endure. Now, when I think about the times when I have given in to temptation, I want you all to think about this for a minute. I know what Paul is saying is true. Because every time I've given in to temptation, I think about this verse. And I know I had a way out. I know there was a way out then, but I chose not to take it because selfishly, I wanted what I wanted. And I tried to believe that God's not really paying attention and I can just go ahead and do this. And later, I felt the guilt and the shame. I felt that because I ignored the way out that God gave me. He gave me a way out. He was faithful, but I wasn't. And I feel this guilt and the shame because I chose not to take what God had given me as a way out. Then Paul interestingly turns from that old covenant with Abraham and Moses and all the sacrificing of animals and he shifts gears into this new covenant that we all just participated in, communion. And the elements Jesus used us to, to remember when we uh, take this new covenant, when we remember this new covenant, he says it's simple, it's a piece of bread that we all pull from. And I know we don't get to do that anymore. We all had to take individual, I know it tasted like styrofoam, but we understand what we have to do right now. We're still remembering, aren't we? We're not forgetting about it. But there's one loaf, that represents Jesus' one body. And he says, and those elements Jesus uh, used in asking us to remember his sacrifice in that new covenant are bread. It, it represents his body. The fruit of the vine, whether it's wine or juice, he called it the cup of thanksgiving, representing the blood of Christ. And Paul emphasizes the unity of the body of Christ, the church persist, participating in the body and blood of Christ. And this is sacred. It's holy. No matter how we do it, whether it's, in these little packets we've had to take in the last few months. I've taken it 
on camping trips before. I've taken it on youth retreats before. I've taken it in other countries before. And all of that, you think, this is sacred. This is holy no matter where I am. Because anywhere in the world, guess what? They have juice. They have bread. And we can come together and remember Jesus' sacrifice. And Paul emphasizes this. Representing what Jesus did that we might be forgiven of willfully ignoring those ways out that God gave us in times of temptation. Instead of committing idolatry, immorally, immorality, testing the Lord, grumbling against Him, He has given us a way to be forgiven and restored to Him. And Paul says in regards to the issue of eating meat, sacrifice to idols, or as he says, demons. I don't want you to be participants with demons. That makes sense, doesn't it? Have you ever tried to talk to your kids about something they're doing and you're telling them it's evil and they just can't grasp that? You ever talk to them about their music and the lyrics that these people are singing are not good for you and they're like, you're crazy, what do you know? No, they're good guys. You don't understand. No, I understand. You're just getting, you're drinking the Kool-Aid. They're laughing all the way to the bank because you're hearing all this junk and you're buying into all this stuff. And we do it as adults sometimes too. But Paul says you can't be a part. Some of these people in the church, in this Christian church, were saying, I'm going to come to this church and I'm going to take communion, this holy, sacred thing called communion, but then I'm going to go down the street next week and I'm going to hang out with some of my old friends and I'm going to participate in their ritual sacrifices that they're sacrificing to demons. And Paul goes, no, you can't do that. You can't do that. He says there is no polytheism. None of this... Many gods are okay. That's not okay with the one holy God, the Lamb of God who takes away your sins and my sins. No, none of this patronizing nonsense that all religions are the same and and all good people get to go into heaven. No, that's totally not what the Bible says. It devalues the holy and sacred sacrifice of Jesus Christ when we buy into those philosophies. Are you trying to make God jealous, Paul says? Are we stronger than he? And the answer is obvious to Paul. No, you're not stronger than God. And you're not stronger than his love either. But is that answer obvious to me? Is that answer obvious to you? Is it obvious in our culture? I don't think it's obvious in our culture. What are you participating in? What am I participating in my life that's a form of idolatry, that I admire so much, that I'm devoted to, I'm obsessed with worship. Let me tell you all a funny story. I had, I had a little birthday party for my, we had, uh, for my son Sawyer last night. And this kid came over, and we had the Georgia game going on in the background. And I have never seen a little kid, I was, he was going nuts, screaming at the TV. <laughs> and, then, and I was like, man, you're a big fan. And one little boy said to him, he goes, hey, man, you need to calm down. <laughs> He says, he goes, I'm a big fan too, but I don't yell like that in somebody else's house. <laughs> and I thought, wow, that's pretty good out of little kids, little 11-year-olds. But when you are participating in things that put God secondary, that is idolatry. And we would all probably be quick to say, oh, no, I'm not doing that. But there are probably things in my life, if I were really to analyze how much time, how much thought, how much action I actually spend on those things, it would be hard to deny the control it has on me, no matter how much I deny that. And if I compare the time and thought and things that I do, and I spend by comparison on those things, and I'm just kind of saying it can be sports because I have an issue with that, 
compared to how much time I spend on my relationship with God, there was going to probably be an analysis would show that, yeah, I probably have a little bit of a problem with that, and I need to maybe back off of that. And we allow much of this stuff to consume and even define our lives, don't we? Well, I can't do that because I'm involved with this, and I have to do this. And we just go, God's going, what are you doing? You've left the building. You've forgotten we have a relationship because all these other things are important, and I'm not. A lady named Mary Jo Sales wrote this book called American Girls, Social Media and the Secret Lives of Teenagers. And she was in Los Angeles interviewing kids. And she was at an L.A. mall. And a teenage girl said to her, social media is destroying our lives. Teenager said this to her. And she says, so why don't you go off of it? Why don't you get off of it? Seems reasonable, doesn't it? If it's controlling your life, if something is destroying you, let it go. Smash it. Get rid of it. And the girl's response was instant back to her. She said this, because then we would have no life. Think about that. It's destroying my life, and I know that, but I can't stop it because if I did, then I wouldn't have a life. See, that's the lie our culture tells that there's some kind of life out there away apart from God that's going to give us some kind of satisfaction, and we buy into that, and it's not true. Trevin Wax comments on this. If I were to cast that conversation in spiritual terms, I'd put it this way. My idol is destroying me, but if I smash my idol, then I disappear. And that's what a lot of kids, that's what a lot of people think in our culture today, that I'm going to disappear. I have this fear of disappearing, this, this fear of not being significant in this world. So I have to constantly put a new picture out there so you can look at what I'm doing today and how cool I am. That's not what makes you significant. That is a lie spread by Satan to keep our restless souls constantly searching for something instead of Jesus who calls us. Come to me, what? All you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest for your souls. That's what Jesus wants to give to us. And Paul says, learn from the past. The Israelites had what gave them rest, but they always were restless and going after all these other things. When God was with them, presence was with them all the time. Learn to come back to him. Because you know what? He has not left the building, y'all. We are the ones that have left the building. But God patiently and lovingly waits for us to come back every day. That's what he wants for his children to come home. Maybe some of us need to do that today. Maybe some of us need to look in our lives and say, what is the form of idolatry I need to put away, get rid of, and focus on God in my life? Well, this morning we want to give an invitation as we always do. Maybe someone needs to name Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior for the first time. And we all understand that is a process, isn't it? It doesn't mean we're automatically perfect and everything goes away that was bad and everything that was good comes into our life. It's a process. But we now are surrendering to Christ who loves us, who has been throughout history in our lives from creation to now, and we know ultimately he is going to come back and make everything right. And I don't know about y'all, but I want to be with him in eternity. And he gives us that opportunity through his life, death, and resurrection. So um, we're going to sing a song. I'm going to ask y'all to stand at this point. I know of a couple that's coming to join our church. Maybe there's someone else who has a decision to make this morning. And as we sing, I'd ask you to come forward. Let's stand and sing. Thank you.